Hi, this is Philippa Ballantyne, author of Chasing the Bard at chasingthebard.com and one half of the Double Trouble team bringing you Digital Magic and the Case of the Pitcher's Pendant on 080808. And you're listening to episode 27 of Murder at Avedon Hill. Welcome to the PatioBooks.com presentation of Murder at Avedon Hill. My name is P.G. Holyfield. And now, episode 27 of Murder at Avedon Hill. Chapter 26 The Avedon Clothier The Icon of Kaylee, the Child of Magic Nicolette laughed. The song she sang shook the walls of the mountain. Instantly Nicolette knew herself and walked free. Tales of the Children Aramis took a detour before approaching Sarah Tremaine's shop by paying a visit to Cletus at the town gate. Aramis found Cletus outside his guard station chatting with Shane Olivet. As Aramis reached them, Cletus struck the farrier's apprentice on the shoulder with the palm of his hand, <laughs> laughing heartily. <laughs> so, Sir Aramis, how goes your investigation? It's progressing. What is all the excitement about? Shane lowered his head in embarrassment. Cletus didn't give him a chance to speak. <laughs> Shane here is finally making progress, too, aren't you, pup? Aramis smiled. Is the young Miss Hemming warming to your advances, Shane? Aramis wouldn't have believed it possible, but Shane's face became even brighter at the monk's question. I gave her another one of my poems, and this time she said she would let me take her on a picnic. Just as quickly, though, his smile disappeared. Oh, no. I can't cook. What am I going to do? <laughs> Cletus slapped the back of the wiry young Shane once more. You just talk to Dalek and have him fix you up something nice. Tell him I said it was his moral obligation to help you win the heart of that young lass. Shane bowed his head to Aramis and wandered off in the direction of the inn. He massaged his shoulder as he walked, checking for a possible dislocation. A bit rough on the young man, Cletus. Ah, he needs some toughening up, Sir Aramis. Aramis didn't need to truth-read to see that Cletus cared for Shane. So what brings you here this cold morning? Aramis had already noticed that the temperature had gotten colder each of his three days in Avedon Hill. I'm on my way to Miss Tremaine's shop and wanted to ask you a few questions about her. And why would you be asking me? Because you seem to know a lot about the townspeople, and, and you have been honest with me so far. Besides, Aramis pointed, you can see her shop from here. 
Cletus nodded. <laughs> True enough. Sure, go, go ahead then. It seems that Miss Tremaine provides quite an array of services. Much more than you would expect from a simple seamstress. <laughs> Cletus <laughs> chuckled, a rumble that seemed to originate from deep within his gut. Like I've said before, I'm not in a position to judge anyone, monk. But as you pointed out, I do spend most of my time within spitting distance of her shop. Let's just say the men that leave Mr. Main's shop with smiles on their faces far outnumber the garments traded or sold. As Aramis Cragen entered Sarah Tremaine's shop, the muscles around his left eye began to twitch. Before closing the door behind him, Aramis carefully and slowly breathed in the air of the shop. He was relieved to find that Sarah Tremaine was not burning incense. Even so, the smell of it hung in the air. Prior to walking through the shop door, Aramis had opened himself up to the power of the land. As always, his perception of magic was that of a flowing river. He could see tendrils of it flowing around his legs as he walked, as if he were wading through knee-deep water. Aramis hoped this would be enough to counteract any chemical-induced advantage that Sarah Tremaine enjoyed within her place of business. Did you bring your robes for mending, Sir Aramis? Incense or not, Sarah Tremaine could only be described as one of the great beauties in all the world. She wore a simple dress of the darkest blue, with only the slightest amount of cleavage on display. But what made her appearance most different on this day was her hair. She wore her long, red hair up in a style quite common at court, which emphasized the long lines of her neck and shoulders magnificently. As a matter of fact, I did. Aramis had to consider the possibility that Sarah Tremaine was a vampire master, and that this was the reason she possessed such a radiant charm. He handed her the bundle he had brought with him. The bundle contained the robes that had been ripped in several places by the moon beast. As he did so, he reached out and grabbed Sarah's arm. A small gasp escaped Sarah's mouth, but she did not attempt to pull away. She only smiled and allowed Aramis to hold on to her arm. Is there something else you need, Sir Aramis? Sarah's skin was warm, unlike Edward Avedon. Aramis stared deeply into her green eyes. He pushed gently with his mind, touching her consciousness, careful not to probe too deeply, and immediately sensed the barriers that only one with training would have. But more importantly, felt the spark of life he doubted any vampire could possess. Sarah placed her free hand over Aramis's own, caressing it. Sarah's lips were full moist, pink, and growing redder by the moment, inviting Aramis forward. Aramis sensed the river of magic rising up around him like waves crashing against the side of a boat during a storm. He soon realized he had stopped breathing. With a sharp intake of breath, Aramis released Sarah Tremaine's arm. He believed he saw disappointment in the woman's face. It was nothing compared to the disappointment he felt himself, frustration that had nothing to do with his search for a vampire master. I, I apologize, Miss Tremaine. Your powers of persuasion are, are more than I can fathom. Sarah continued smiling, but sighed longingly, carrying Aramis's robes over to a work table. Did you learn what you came to learn? 
brother of Aaron. Aramis followed her. Thamestress, Clothier, these names do not seem to capture the scope of your services and abilities. Sarah looked up from the robes she had spread out on the table before her. I'll not insult your intelligence, Sir Aramis. I'm sure you've learned enough from the townspeople to understand what I do, which is provide certain services to those that can afford it. I pray this does not offend your sensibilities. Aramis shook his head. No, not at all. Only the priest of Cairn would condemn your line of work, Mr. Mann. Sarah snorted. And considering some of my clients, that is as humorous as it is hypocritical. And your work as a seamstress, is that simply a front? Oh no, Sir Aramis. You see my work around you. I'm one of the finest dressmakers you'll find anywhere in Groge. It just so happens that I am even better at my other line of work. I have heard stories from separate individuals that indicate this other line of work has its darker side. One that on the surface marks you as a suspect in Greta Platt's murder. Sarah laughed, but the expression on her face was the first that Aramis would consider less than flattering. Please come. I would like to show you something. She led him through a door that led back to the rest of her shop. They walked down a set of stairs which opened up into a large room. They were now underground, and Aramis noted how much work had been required to fashion the great room. Some of the walls of the room were lined with stone, while other areas had been covered with wood and plaster. The first thing you need to understand, Sir Aramis, is that I choose my customers, and they travel here only at my invitation. There was a large bed in the center of the room. The walls of the room held even more proof of her ability as a seamstress. They were lined with a wide array of garments for both men and women of various sizes. Tables along one wall displayed a variety of items from feathers to whips to implements that Aramis could only guess at their use. Sarah approached that table and retrieved something that fit in her hand and carried it over to Aramis. I fulfill the fantasies of men and women on occasion. There is a merchant that works directly for one of your royals in Southern Yew. He has visited me on several occasions over the last four years. He brought me this on his last trip. Aramis looked down at Sarah's hand. She held a curved piece of metal smaller than the palm of her hand. On a previous occasion, he had made me bite down on a piece of clay to get an impression of my teeth. He took that mold and had a jeweler create this. Sarah inserted the metal form into her mouth. Aramis heard a snap as they fit into place over her upper teeth. How do they look? As Sarah modeled her new teeth, Aramis understood what Lila must have seen that night. Two metallic incisors protruded from her mouth, extending nearly to the curve marking the start of her chin. So this merchant had you act the part of a vampire. <laughs> Sarah giggled and held up a hand while she pulled the appliance out of her mouth. The teeth may have been removed, but her devilish grin remained. To the point of drawing blood from his shoulder. I refused to bite his neck as hard as he wanted, though. An accidental death wouldn't be good for business. Aramis offered his hand, and Sarah Tremaine placed the set of teeth in it. He used his index finger to measure the distance between the two vampire fangs. Shorter than the distance between the tines of the metal gardening fork from the courtyard. If we ever find Greta's corpse, we can examine the wounds on her neck. A short time later, they returned upstairs. 
While it is obvious, Mr. Maine, that you are not a vampire, it does not change the fact that you were here alone most of the night Greta Platt was murdered. Sarah Tremaine lost her smile. She stood perfectly still and breathed in slow, drawn-out breaths. Aramis embraced his truth-reading sensibilities. Sarah was lowering the barriers that Aramis had sensed only moments before. I don't know what gives me my powers of persuasion, as you so eloquently put it, Sir Aramis. Ever since I was a child, I was able to get my way with a smile or a look, but even more so with a song. I was on my way to becoming famous as a child prodigy. By the age of eight, I had performed in several Grosjean cities. But when I was 12, I sang at the court of Governor Racine at Mishkiel. My performance that day was The Loss of Iruna. Do you know it? Something about Sarah's story was familiar to Aramis. He nodded. Iruna, the first child of Aj to give up her immortality to enter Cairn. It was a tale of love and of woe. When I sang of Iruna, how Aj decided it was time for her to cease living a normal mortal life and remember her own deific nature, and how her epiphany had destroyed the unborn child growing within her, and how that loss had caused her elf husband, Elias, to give up hope and die of a broken heart. There was something in the words of that song that touched me. I now believe it is because I was finally old enough to understand what love and loss truly means. As a result, I sang with more emotion than I ever had before. Aramis's eyes widened in recognition. That was you. Later that night, three people from the audience killed themselves, including Governor Racine's son, who threw himself from the parapets of his father's castle. Sarah didn't need to respond. Aramis's truth sense told him all he needed to know. I've never sung that way again. I guess I should feel lucky that I wasn't accused of being a witch. A tear flowed down Sarah's right cheek. The rest of my story isn't important, Sir Aramis, other than to say that I still use my voice and my smile to make people happy and to make my life safe here. So what were you doing the night Greta was murdered? I was here, but not alone. A client? Sarah smiled, but it was not her smile of persuasion. It was a smile that emanated from her heart. Since you know what I am, I no longer feel the need to lie to protect myself or others. I was with Lewis that night, and no, he's not a client. So this is why Lewis was indisposed the night of Greta's murder. Why not tell me this the last time I was here? Sarah took Aramis's hand and led him to the door of her shop. Because Lord Avedon is my client, and he would not be pleased to learn that that Lewis and I are lovers. Please respect that. Until we meet again, Miss Tremaine. I'll deliver your garments to the inn once they are mended and cleaned. Just find out who killed Greta, Sir Aramis. Greta was my friend, one of the only true friends I've ever had.
been listening to Murder at Avedon Hill, a podcast novel written and produced by P.G. Holyfield. Please visit pgholyfield.com for more information on this novel and the author. Most of the music in this podcast generously provided by Shira Common through Magnatune.com. Magnatune.com, they are not evil. Additional music generously provided by Kevin McLeod through his website at Incompetech.com. Be sure to check out Murder at Avedon Hill at Podiobooks.com. And if you are so inclined, please post a review at iTunes, at Podcast Pickle, or at Podiobooks.com. Audio comments about the podcast can be left on the Cairn line at 704-315-5884. Or go to pgholyfield.com and click on the Call Me button to leave comments. This podcast is copyright 2007-2008 by P.G. Holyfield and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 U.S. License.